0: And then, if you will, to our text this morning, which comes from Philippians chapter 3, where we'll be looking at verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Now, I would venture to guess that at some point in each one of our lives, You have been in a foot race. Perhaps you were in the track and field club in high school. Uh, Perhaps you raced your friends at recess. Or if you were anything like my children, you run to the car and you race to see who can get their hand on it first. But regardless, we all know, we all have some idea, some remembrance of what it was like to be in a race. And I say this because this is the metaphor that Paul uses for the Christian experience in our text here today. Now, if you recall, last week Paul spoke of counting everything in his former life prior to conversion as loss, all of that striving he did for righteousness according to the law, because he's seen the surpassing worth of gaining Christ and His righteousness. A righteousness that could not be attained through the law, but rather a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. And so Paul spoke to us about his desire to know Christ more intimately. His desire to experience the very power of the resurrection. And in his desire that by any means possible, he may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so, in our text this morning, what Paul does is he he clarifies or he expounds upon what he has just said. And he has to do this to correct any misunderstanding that there might have been by what he has said. Because there were those who thought, oh, is Paul saying that he himself has reached perfection? And so he had to correct this misunderstanding. Or he had to correct those Judaizers who thought that placing their faith in Christ along with observance to the, the law, circumcision, and following the law, that they themselves could attain perfection here on earth. And so Paul seeks to correct this understanding by way of metaphor, setting this before the saints. right, The reality that exists for every believer. And he does this using the symbolism of racing, of a foot race. And so what is it that you and I know is true about a foot race. Well, first, in order to be in a race, you have to know that there is a race. Have you ever walked with your friend and then all of a sudden he just takes off running and you're like, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? He's like, I'm racing you to the end of the street. And you say, well, it would be nice if you'd let me know first. Give me a heads up so we can actually race. It can be a fair race, right? Right? And then, after that, you might say, well, if we're going to race, well, where are we starting from? Where are we racing to? Are we running, are we doing a 40-yard dash or are we running a marathon? Those details matter. And once we have those details hashed out, you might want to know what's the prize, so that you know what it is that you're running for. Now, in our text today then, Paul is going to kind of use a similar formula to what a I just described to you. And so we're going to look at this text, breaking it down under three headings so that we can better understand why Paul is using this racing metaphor and how it relates then unto the Christian life. And so these three headings are first, realizing you're in a race. That's our first heading. Our second heading is running towards perfection. Perfection. And the third will be reaching the prize, So, realizing, running, and reaching. And so then, to begin with our first point, Paul begins in verse 12 by saying this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. You see, today it seems like there are two types of non-Pauline ways of thinking amongst those who would call themselves Christians on us being able to attain perfection in the life here and now. One way of thinking is like the Judaizers, that we can attain perfection by refraining from sin and by obeying the law. That now we belonging to Christ can stop ourselves from sinning and obey the law completely, and in doing so, we will be perfected here on earth. And I don't know if you guys have ever run into someone who's held a position like this. I have. And you'd ask them, well, have you ever done this? And they would say, well, no. And I'd say, well, do you know anyone who can do this? And they would say, well, no. But then they might respond, well, that doesn't mean it can't be done. You see, though, this is the air in which Paul is dealing with. And so he tells the saints of his own life saying I am nowhere near perfection myself don't think that I am although I've given up everything for Christ I am in prison today for the sake of Christ I am nowhere being to be I am nowhere near being perfect And so brothers and sisters if Paul the apostle Paul is nowhere near perfection where do you think that leaves You and I. Where do you think that leaves you and I? As James tells us in chapter 3, verse 2, that we all stumble in many ways. Or Paul describes to the saints his very struggle with sin in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 19. Please turn, if you will, there with me. And we will read this together and we will see Paul's continual struggle with sin. Romans 7, verses 15-19. to Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Isn't that a tongue twister? But we see here in Paul's writing this Internal struggle with sin he still has after conversion. Paul is speaking about the present. This is a struggle he is having because although Paul has been justified, just like you and I have been justified, meaning our guilt has been taken away, corruption for you and I and for Paul still remains. All of us then are going to continue to have this struggle because we remain in these sinful bodies where the flesh still dwells. And so, we have this battle still looming between the flesh that remains and the Spirit. And so, what this means is as long as we remain in these corruptible bodies, we cannot be perfected. We're going to continue to deal with the effects of sin. And so, this is one Uh, way of thinking amongst those who would call themselves Christians, that through uh, uh, refraining from sin and through obeying the law, we can be perfected. Yet the other alternative we might hear being spoken about or even seen in the lives of people who would call themselves Christians is thinking that now that they are under grace, they can live really however they want to now. Right? We've probably seen people who have behaved in this way? Or people who have even expounded that this is their belief. That they no longer have to pursue holiness because they are under grace now. You've all heard once saved, always saved. So what is the purpose then to pursue holiness and godliness? I'm saved by God's grace. But Paul's message for all of us is that if you are a Christian, we're all engaged in the race. He doesn't want them to be unaware. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of this fact that the race isn't already over. It's not done with. You are in it right now. And see, the trouble is, is if you don't know that you're engaged in a race, or if you deny the fact that you are even engaged in a race, the truth of the matter is, is, you're probably not a Christian. And so Paul wants the saints to know, you are in a race. And he wants them to know what type of race they are in. This is why he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. He says, we are only in the race. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those who Christ has made His very own. And so that means that this race that we are in is a Christian race. It's a spiritual race. And so it's a lifelong race. And yet, some might ask, Well, why race? If we can't be perfected in this life, why even try to attain it? And Paul's answer would be, because it is your duty as those who Christ has made His own to progress in the Christian life. If we have the Spirit, and if we love Christ, shouldn't it be your very heart's desire to be conformed to the image of Christ? This was Paul's desire. Paul tells us that he yearned to be made perfect, although he knew he was not there yet. He desired to know Christ perfectly. Is that not also your desire? To know Christ perfectly? Is this not the way we ought to feel even about our own spouses? whether you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40 years, don't you continually desire to know your spouse better and better and better? And are we not called to love Christ even more than we would love our own spouse? And so whether you've been a Christian 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, shouldn't it be your desire to continually grow in knowledge of Christ? Is this not the reason that the Father has made us a people of His own possession? To know Him? And so isn't it your great desire to know Christ and to continue to know Him more deeply and more intimately each day? And yet the depths of the knowledge of Christ are so vast. They're so great. Do you really think that our creaturely knowledge can attain all the knowledge of Christ here on earth? Of course not. Of course not. But what that tells us is that there will never come a point in time in which we gain all the knowledge that we need. There will never come a point in time in which we say, oh, I have all the knowledge of Christ, I'm done. I'm done progressing. No, we're going to keep progressing until we are perfected. And that does not occur until the Lord returns, as Paul will tell us. And yet, we must understand that to to the degree that we know the Savior, and to the degree that we grow in our knowledge of the Savior, this is all grace from God. This is a grace of God given them to us. And so Paul puts us on notice. Brothers and sisters, you are in a race. The horn has sounded. It's been blown. The whistle's been blown. He said the race has started. You're to put your hand down to get in that crouched position like the runners do and explode out of the gate and begin running, pressing forward, You must realize you're in a race. And so we must put our heads down and press forward. We must run. It would be tragic to not realize we're in a race. For when the Lord returns and then you know we are in a race, it will be too late. And so in verse 13 then, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Here is our second point. Running toward perfection. Paul has told us we're in a race, and we're in a race because we're not perfect. And so we are to be striving for perfection. This is what we're running towards. Perfection. And how do how is it that we make great strides toward perfection? If that is your desire, to be making strides toward perfection... Toward knowing Christ more, Paul says we are to move forward and to not look back. As runners in this Christian life, we need, we must have laser like focus and concentration. If being perfected is the goal, and if being conformed to the image of the Christ of Christ is our purpose then we should not allow anything to stand in our way of that. Yet we all know that that is much easier said than done, isn't it? For we live in a world full of distraction. Society as a whole in general is constantly distracted by things. And if we're honest with ourselves, and it's sad to say, oftentimes we're no different than the world when it comes to being distracted. And what's the number one distraction in our world right now? Probably the cell phone, probably the cell phone. And that little smartphone, that little handheld device, you have everything that you need. You get news at the drop of a hand. Ladies, you can shop right from the phone now. You don't even have to go to the store any longer. Uh, you're able to uh, tell people where you are and what you're doing. You're able to look on your phone and see where other people are and what they're doing. And it becomes so addicting for us. I mean, it's become so addicting. It's become such a problem, so dangerous, that they have even had to make laws about it. Right? Because people would be driving and using their phones and causing accidents doing it. Fatal accidents at that. So consumed with their phone. So compelled that they couldn't just focus on one thing, but their attention was diverted. All because they had to answer a text. All because they had to send a text. They just just couldn't wait. And so this is why Paul tells us, we are not to be distracted. We are to be pressing forward because looking back, because losing your focus, because becoming distracted hinders you from progress. It hinders you from growing in the knowledge of Christ. It hinders you from striving for perfection. Have you ever seen the runner who's ahead of the pack as he's running? And he is concerned with what's going on behind him. And so he turns and he looks as he's running. And what usually happens? He gets caught and he gets passed. Why is that? Well, because as he's running and he's turning, he's starting to veer off course. And his, his strides are starting to slow down because his body's no longer headed forward. And he fails to attain the victory. But what is the posture of the Christian to be, Paul says? Head forward, shoulders, running ahead, straining our body in one and only one direction, Paul says. And that direction is forward. And Paul says we are to be straining ourselves. That is imagery of every muscle, every part of your body working hard, exerting all of your energy going forward going forward, not backwards, not looking back, not being distracted. And doesn't the Bible have much to say about those who look back? We see examples of what has has happened to some of those. Think back to maybe the most famous one, Genesis 19 and Lot's wife. Uh, We're told that Lot is instructed by the angels that the Lord is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the angels tell Lot in verse 17 of chapter 19, escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you get swept away. And then in verse 26 though we hear, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. You see, the Lord in this instance, was so merciful to Lot and his family, he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet, he allows the angels to tell them to get out before it is destroyed. And he's even so merciful to them that we are told in, this, in chapter 19 that Lot and his family actually lingered. They lingered and did not escape right away. Right then and there, they could have been destroyed for lingering. Yet, God was so merciful with them, we're told that the angels actually took them by their hands and brought them out of the city so that they would not be destroyed. And what were their instructions? Their instructions were to run. Escape to the hill. Don't stop. Don't look back. Doesn't this sound a lot like what Paul is telling the Philippian saints here today in our text? Move forward. Press on. Don't look back back. Yet Lot's wife disobeyed. And she looked back and boom, right there on the spot, she died. Now you and I, perhaps looking back today, we might not be turned into a pillar of salt immediately. But what we do when we look back is we kill our spiritual growth. We injure ourselves when we don't heed the apostles' words. When we look back, perhaps we look back at our our own works thinking that we find favor with God through them. We injure ourselves when we stop pressing forward in pursuit of Christ. When we stop growing. When we stop maturing. When we stop gaining knowledge of who Christ is. Christ Himself even spoke about this in Luke chapter 9. Remember, the man says to the Lord in Luke chapter 9, Lord, I will follow You wherever it is You will go but just let me say goodbye to my family first. And what was the Lord's response in verse 62? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does this mean? It means we cannot be in halfway with God. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't be 80, 20, 99 or 1. God demands of us full service, full devotion, full attention. And so just as the one who plows cannot look back because in doing so he begins to plow a a crooked line, he loses focus of what his task is, we cannot look back and allow anything to distract us from what the Lord has called us to. For as Jesus says, those who look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. And so, brothers and sisters, we know we are Christ when you continually see growth, when you continually see conformity, when you continually see movements daily toward perfection. And so for us, for each one of us, we ought to learn that we cannot allow anything to distract us or to bump us off course in pressing ahead in the Christian life. No matter what trial we face, we must push forward whether that's trouble with co-workers, whether that's trouble in relationships, whether that's financial turmoil, or whether that's health problems. We mustn't feel bad for ourselves and soul and just think about our own situation and our own troubles and become, become so consumed with ourselves that we stop our pursuit of Christ. Right? We need to remember and be reminded continually that we're in a race And those things that can cause distraction, we might call them hurdles. They're hurdles that we must jump. If you think about the imagery of a hurdle, of a sprinter who runs, and he's jumping over these hurdles into the finish line. This is similar to what we must do. Trials. Periods of testing. All these things are going to come up. And there are obstacles presented before us in which Satan would love nothing more for us to get hung up in this hurdle and to take our eyes off of Christ But when we do so, what we're really doing is we're becoming self-absorbed. We're becoming self-centered when all we can think about is ourselves. We're so fixated on our own situation. But no, we must become like the hurdler whose eyes are fixated down at that finish line as he jumps the hurdles. You must likewise have your eyes forward fixated on Christ as you navigate the hurdles on the way to the prize. You must busy yourselves with all of those spiritual exercises which God has called us to. If we desire to be conformed unto Christ and to be perfected, that is prayer, that is scripture reading, that is family worship, that is uh, Sunday Lord's Day worship, that is participating in the means of grace. And so we will continue, each and every one of us, running until we get to that prize. And just like the runner who runs and he looks forward and he sees the finish line and he crosses that line, what happens? What happens when he crosses that line? He's brought up to the stage. He's brought up to the podium. Then to receive his reward and his prize, a gold, a silver, or a bronze medal, right? This is what Paul says in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Here and then lies our third and final point, reaching the prize. Paul is straining himself, every muscle toward reaching that prize. And what is that prize, Paul says? He says it's that upward call. You see, brothers and sisters, here are the rules of the race that you and I are engaged in. We are to run until the Lord returns. Only at the end, at the culmination of all things, when the work of salvation is complete, will you and I be perfected. Then and only then will we be perfected. As this is what Paul has already told us in chapter 1 verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And when will he bring it to completion? He says, at the day of Jesus Christ. At the day of Jesus Christ. This will happen when Christ returns. Paul says this again to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. See, here again we see Paul, he loves this racing metaphor and he uses it once again. And he says, the race is only finished when that day comes. And the crown of righteousness will be awarded to him and to all, he says, who have kept the faith. You see, you must run until the end, in order to receive that crown of righteousness, you can 't stop halfway you can 't stop two thirds of the way through for those people are are like those that John speaks of in his first epistle aren 't they? They went out from us because they were not of us, for if they would have been with us, if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Those are the ones who continue to the end. See spiritual perfection is only attained by those who press forward until the end, never quitting. But we must know that we do not run by ourselves. As we are told already by Paul in this epistle, that it is the Spirit who works in us to will and to do God's good pleasure. And so, brothers and sisters, we are not running and then we are not being rewarded for our own efforts and our own merits. But rather, we are rewarded because Christ has already purchased the prize for us through His shed blood. Christ has done it all. And we receive it based on His merits and His works and His righteousness. Not our own. And so if you are Christ, you ought to long for the end of the race where you will be perfected then. Where you will have perfect peace. You will have perfect love. You will be perfectly holy. You have uninterrupted Fellowship with your God. Right now, we only have that in part. In Christ, we receive blessings and benefits because we are partakers of that heavenly gift. Yet only now, in part, But when Christ returns, we will be in full possession of it. And so, we ought to set our minds on the full attainment of this prize. And so, don't be fine with the knowledge you have right now Don't be fine with the growth you have right now. But as Paul says, fix your eyes straight ahead on the race ahead of you. See the finish line. Look and see all that it has that you still have to go and fix your eyes on that. Don't worry about looking behind. Fix your eyes on all that you still have to go. This is the mind we are to have. This is what Paul says in verse 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, we are being summoned by Paul here. Each and every day we are being summoned by our heavenly calling. Progress, progress, progress. To grow in grace and knowledge. And we are told we are to strive unto this goal. Until the Lord returns and you and I are perfected. And this is how we must think. Why is that? Because Paul says this is the way that the mature Christian thinks. And what is it that Paul has been teaching the church all these truths for? What is that reason that he's been teaching us this? If you remember from Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We run the race, brothers and sisters, with the goal of maturing all the way through. This is our advantage as Christians. You see, the Judaizers, they thought they were mature. They thought they had profound knowledge and they thought through the observance of the law they could obtain perfection. But we, by the grace of God, know that we cannot do it. Rather, Christ has done it all for us, for those who have received His righteousness. And so now we receive all the benefits and blessings that flow out of that union with Christ as He is the head of the church and we are His body. And as His body, we now have new inclinations, new desires, new affections, and we desire holy living. And so now... Through this blessings and through these benefits, we can daily go to Him for all that we need, for growth and knowledge, for our sanctification, for our daily nourishment. And so, brothers and sisters, I tell you, as Paul has told all of us, you are in a race. The race has begun, and so continue running. Look forward, strain and exert all of your energy in running forward. Don't look back. Don't get distracted. Don't go off course. For we are running forward to that prize. The upward call. This world is running in the opposite direction. But the race is not over. The finish line awaits. It's down there. It's a ways, but it awaits. And that podium is there waiting for you. As each day we grow closer and closer to the day in which the Lord will return. So, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. For the prize that we will receive is great. Everlasting life. Being perfected in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we thank you that you have not left us ignorant of the fact that you have saved us, and that now you have brought us into the Christian race. It is a race toward perfection. And this should be each and every one of our desires, if we are truly saints, to be perfected. And although we know, Lord, that we will not be perfected on this side of heaven, we should still have great excitement and enjoyment to know that you do tell us that we can progress in our sanctification, that we can progress in growing in conformity to Christ. And so that should be each and every one of our goals. To continue to strain ourselves forward to exert all energy into being like Christ. Looking forward to that finish line, that day in which the Lord returns and we are being, and we are perfected. Where sin and uh, all that accompanies sin disease and the curse will all go away. And we will be in perfect harmony one with another. We will be in perfect peace with our Lord and we will be in the presence of God forever. and this we long for, Lord. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have within us, the assurance of that eternal life which awaits us. For, Father, it is you who has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so, Father, we offer you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus Christ, your Son, in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.